God has a plan and a purpose for us, doesn't he? And uh, it's not Christianese. When I say that every week, it's because we need to be reminded, right? Who notice is sometimes that when you uh, read God's word, that it's repetitive. And God is um, not forgetful. He didn't forget that he said to Jeremiah what he said to them last chapter and the chapter before that. He tells us over and over again because that's the way we need to hear. Amen? And so uh, I, when I say every week that God's got a plan and a purpose for us, I believe the Lord wants to keep reminding us that he's in control. He is in control. Believe it or not, God was in control through 2020. Believe it or not, right now, we're three months into 2021, God is still in control. It may not seem like it sometimes, but God knows what he's doing, and he's working it out. Amen. Who believes that? And you're going to have much uh, more life within you, much more freedom when you can come to terms with that. Um, so I just want to get right into his word. Uh, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, uh, really for this whole season from entering 2021, um, just about being uh, serious Christians, really realizing that uh, we've been given this amazing gift of salvation and grace in Christ, but that it's a call to walk with God, a serious call to walk with the Lord and to follow Jesus. And it's not to be taken lightly, and we've been looking uh, a couple weeks ago, if you remember the sermon, I talked about how we are really slaves to God. The Word says that we're slaves, and I brought up the analogy, right, of the horse that's wild, you know, gets to roam free, and then he's brought into the stables, and he's made to submit, and he goes through a crushing and uh, goes through the process to become uh, this royal horse, this horse that's going to pull at the king's carriage, who only moves when the king says and doesn't do anything else except what the king says, but has the benefit of being provided for and taken care of by the king, even fed from the king's hand to his mouth. Amen? And so we are really slaves, and we're good soldiers, the word says. And then last week we talked about how we are priests. And these are all on the same theme, that we are not our own, that we are the Lord's, right? The, the Levite and the priest was separated from the rest of the tribes of Israel. Even of Israel, the priest was set aside. And the Levite had no inheritance of their own. They had no land. They had nothing to call their own. They lived amongst the people, and they were submitted to God. God had them as his special tools, as a special people to serve the world, to serve for us. We can put that analogy fast forward to 2021 is to serve the world. That is for us to be God's priest to serve the world. We are serving God and we're bringing the world into God's presence. That's the purpose of us as priests before God. Amen. And so we've been talking about how our lives really are not our own that we are, are submitted to God, that we must be separated from this world. And I want to just be asking some questions uh, this week and, and, and next week, and then after Easter I'll look, keep talking about these questions, I believe, for the, for the uh, unforeseen future. This spring I want to keep asking us some questions, and I want you to think of it uh, this way. Um, maybe some of you, uh, because of COVID or uh, uh, this year, uh, who stayed away from the doctor if you could help it? Who stayed away from dentist office if you could help it? I finally just went. I stayed away for as long as I could. And I wasn't afraid of it, but I'm like, that's probably a place that you're going to see more of it than other places. So I'll stay away till I have to go. But I felt like it was foolish to wait any longer. Let me get my teeth cleaned and checked out. And uh, I feel like the Lord today... I don't know if it's just because it's springtime, too. I don't know. Do people go to the doctors in springtime? You come out of winter, and you're just like, okay, let me make sure I'm okay. But I feel like the Lord has us in maybe a checkup mode. Everybody say checkup. Now, the purpose of a checkup from the doctor is to find out what's going on in your body, right? Even your mind, right? When I was a kid, they even asked us mental things, you know, what's going on in your brain? I still remember some of those doctor visits as a kid. So they're trying to find out what's going on in your body, what's going on in your brain, and 
you can lie to the doctor, right? Who's ever lied to the doctor or the dentist, right? They ask you how many times you floss. You know, I'm flossing five times a day. I'm like the best flosser of all time. I use five different flosses. I mean, you can lie to them, but who are you really uh, not benefiting? The doctor, in one respect, God's not a human doctor, but the human doctor doesn't care. If you want to lie to them, you can lie to them. But you're really going to be hurting yourself. It's better to be honest, have an honest evaluation of what is going on in your body, what is going on in your mind. Because if you are honest, then maybe there's an issue that you are unaware of and the doctor can say, you know, let's look into that and let's deal with that situation in your life. And uh, um, guys, I know girls can be like this too, but guys are uh, infamous for pushing pain aside, right? We don't go to the doctor until the, the hand is falling off the wrist, right? It's got to literally be hanging on by a tendon, and then we're like, oh, maybe I should consider going to the doctor. My grandfather would have just said, put some tape on it, put a Band-Aid on it. In fact, one of my friend's dads, uh, he was a, a, a taper who did spackle, and when he would get cut, he would just take spackle and pack his cuts full of spackle because it would dry the blood right up. So it's a... <laughs> <laughs> it's for our benefit that we're honest with the doctor and that we deal with what's going on inside of us because God wants us to be healthy Christians, mature Christians we've been talking about, and he really wants what's best for us. Everybody say, God wants what's best for us. Now, just because God wants what's best for us doesn't mean that we will perceive our circumstances as the best for us because God knows better than us, right? I've said it many times that it doesn't seem best, right, to a child when they're being punished by the parent, and it doesn't seem best when that dentist is drilling the cavity. During that moment, it's painful, but it's actually for your best. Amen. So let's just be aware of that when we say that God wants his, his best for us and he wants our best for us. Um, it doesn't mean that you will think that it's the best during that process, but God is working something out in you. Amen. I want to ask some questions as the doctor or at, from the Lord, the doctor. I'm just a representative to us. And I'm asking myself these same questions this, this spring. I've been asking myself for this week these questions. I just want to ask again some questions that we've been asked before, things in the Word that we know. But they're things that are easy to brush under the rug and not think about. And they're questions like this. What does it really mean to be people of God? What does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? Do we stop and ask sometimes at our checkup, am I, am I a follower of Jesus? Or do I just think I am? Questions like, what kind of faith does God really require from us? These are the questions that God's asking right now, and I believe it's just healthy. Come on, say it's healthy, to be honest, with God. He's the master physician, and... Uh, I don't want to, I, I want to be clear, I don't want to condemn any of us, um, but sometimes condemnation and conviction can look very similar, and the way you tell the difference is condemnation makes you feel like there's no hope. Conviction tells me the same, reveals the same issue in me, but then encourages me that there is hope through Christ, that I can repent, that I can ask the Holy Spirit to help me in my areas or that I can uh, say, okay, Lord, I do need to get into your word more. I do need to pray more. And so conviction will reveal the issue, but it will encourage you to make it right. Condemnation, what the devil does is he's the condemner. The Holy Spirit is the convictor. The condemner tricks you into doing something wrong, and then he tells you you're an idiot for not doing what was right. All right, that's the condemner. <laughs> Right? He says, you don't need to pray. And then when you don't pray, you be like, he's the one that comes alongside you and be like, you haven't been praying recently, have you? Right? So that's the enemy. 
Whereas the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and says, you need to pray because there are some things going on that in the unseen that you're unaware of. In fact, I was just praying. This was really neat. I don't have these type of experiences often, and even when I do, I don't share them from the pulpit, but I thought this was really cool. I just hop in the shower, and I'm praying in the shower like I think lots of Christians do. I think that's a place where probably almost everybody meets with God for a few minutes. That's not the only place, but that's just a quiet place, right? And um, I start praying like I do many times, but mindlessly. I'm not trying to pray, and and I just see this little boy's face, and uh, and I've never seen this face before in my life. And I'm not even going to describe him, but it was a boy I've never seen. And suddenly I knew that my spirit was praying for him. Wherever he was in the world, I have no idea, but that I was praying for him. And I've heard testimonies like that before, and I had, I can't say I've never experienced it, but I don't remember the last time I've experienced something like that. And so the Holy Spirit, when he encourages us, you need to pray it's not in condemnation, whereas the enemy makes you feel stupid that you didn't pray or that you haven't been praying. Amen. We got that. Okay, I don't want to beat that, but I just wanted to really make that clear that when I preach today, I want us to be convicted. Conviction is good because that's the doctor finding the issues. But condemnation is not good, and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. All right, the Holy Spirit is literally pleading for us. And Jesus is sitting next to the Father praying for us constantly. All right, so we have advocates. We have the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as an advocate for us right there for, between us and God. He's pleading for us and telling God, remember my blood. My blood's over them. He's washing us with his blood constantly. So we are not condemned, but we must be convicted. It's healthy Christianity. Amen. Um, I want to say this, salvation is so simple. I started talking about this last week, and I believe that it's never a waste of time to really review what salvation is, what grace is. If we're going to ask these questions, we really need to understand what is salvation, and it's this simple. I want you to look at the book of Luke, chapter 23, Luke 23, verse 39, it says, one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed. He said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Verse 40 says, but the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. So he recognized his sin, and he recognizes Jesus. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He's at, he's at death's edge. He knows that's where he is. And he has this healthy fear that I'm supposed to be here. I put myself here, and this man right here. I don't know much about him, but I know that he's the answer, and he recognized the innocence of Jesus. And then it says in verse 42, then he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was a simple request after recognizing his sin, and Jesus assured him they'd be in paradise together. That truly is how simple salvation is. I want to be clear as I get into today's word for a few minutes that we understand that that's how simple salvation is. Say, that's how simple salvation is. It really is that simple. You have to come like a child, right? We say we come like a child, and then we don't stay children. He matures us. Well, this guy was at death's, death's door. Try to say that, death's door. And so he didn't have a chance to mature. I mean, that's it. That is salvation, but he wasn't going to ever become the mature, full stature of Christ. He didn't have a chance for that. He's stuck to a cross with nails in his hands like Jesus. 
So the important thing to do is not confuse what the word says to us as Christians with what happened here to this man on the cross. That truly is how simple it is to be saved, but that is not what it means to be a Christian in the earth. Does that make sense? There are really two schools of thought, and they're, they're worth mentioning. I want to call these bookends. Everybody say bookends. All right, so bookends, right, when we talk about this, when we're talking about a school of thought, a bookend is like two spectrums, right? And then you have everything in between, all right? These are really the two bookends. All right, from bookend one, I'm not choosing an order, but from bookend one, they say you are saved when you pray the sinner's prayer or you make a confession of sin and then you declare Jesus is the Son of God who died for you. And this, on this side, the bookend, you are saved once and forever. Some call this once saved, always saved. Uh, there's not much requirement for living right because you are just a worthless sinner. You don't have to do anything because you are powerless anyway. And if you do good or God things, you'll have more rewards in heaven. But if you don't do what God wants, you'll still go to heaven but it's not God's best for you. It's not God's best for your life. You'll struggle more on earth, and you'll have less rewards in heaven. If this person at this bookend has minor sins, then they have the grace of Jesus to cover their sins. If this person commits major sin like murder, then people will say, well, to justify this bookend and to justify Jesus' grace, they'll say, well, Murderers don't go to heaven, so the person was probably never actually saved. Anybody ever heard some of that theology? Some of those things sound familiar. Now, here's the other bookend. Now, we can go to the other side. The next end of this spectrum of salvation thought is that accompanying a confession and repentance of sin is the choice. Everybody say choice is the choice to live out the life you have committed to when you repented and received the gracious gift of grace and salvation through Jesus. Your salvation was through grace, but it was also a choice you made. So you must choose to remain on this path, following Jesus to the end. Sin, even minor, should be repented of, even though you already repented, when you receive salvation and were born again. Continuing in an unrepentant lifestyle does not mean that you were not saved, but that you are rejecting the Holy Spirit, and eventually you will walk off the path completely and have your name blotted out or removed from the Lamb's Book of Life and not go to heaven, even though you prayed the sinner's prayer, you did many good things in your life, but you chose to reject God's full salvation. Now, those are the two bookends, and there's a lot of schools of thought that are somewhere in between those two bookends, right? Where we've all heard all of those things I mentioned, and in fact, there are many scriptures that seem to support both ends of those spectrums, and who has read some of those scriptures that seem to support both ends of those bookends? Now, what do we preach here? Here, we preach... And you've heard me say this, if you've ever heard me preach more than once, then you've heard me talk like this, that we don't live anywhere near the boundaries to find out where they are, right? And we're not trying to find out what we can get away with. We don't believe here in sloppy agape or sloppy grace. I preach that we must stay in God's perfect will for us because if we've been truly saved, then why should I want anything else than his perfect will. I preach that we don't live in the fear, uh, human fear, but we must fear the Lord. There are just enough scriptures that compel me as a preacher to warn you of the deception of Satan who will try to get you to walk on the broad road instead of the narrow road that leads to life. I feel like I needed to write it out, too, so that I just didn't go off the hip. 
for today, what I want to say to you is, let's assume that God is at this end of the spectrum, spectrum bookend number one, that he has unlimited grace, and that with the exception of murder, and then you weren't, uh, uh, you weren't actually saved at all, let's just assume for a moment that that's where God is, and you can literally do anything you want, you just have less rewards in heaven. Even if that were God's perspective, and that were true, I want to look at some verses that really talk to us about what it means to be a good Christian or to be someone who is pleasing to God on the earth. Even if it does not affect your ultimate salvation, why would we want to live any less than what is pleasing to God? Even if all that it does is get us more or less rewards in heaven, if I truly love him, why would I want to do any less than what Jesus is asking me in his word? Does that make sense? I'm not saying that I believe that that's where God is. I want you to actually make that decision yourself. I don't feel like you should get close and, 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 and wander into sin because you feel like you have his grace. I don't preach that, but that's between you and the Lord ultimately. But I, what I want us to understand is that as you really start to do the checkup and you go through some scriptures, I really find that, man, am I living up to everything that God in his word and Jesus in the New Testament really asked of me as a Christian on the earth? And it's just good questions to ask us. So I want you to look with me today uh, for a few more minutes. I want to look at Matthew chapter 25. Now, Matthew 25 is a whole chapter is such an amazing chapter for a Christian to read. It's really the key. It's the one talking about, really, the sheep and the goats. Are we doing, you know, have, have we taken, he said, have, you know, did you take care of those in need on the earth? Because if you didn't take care of those on, on, on the earth in need, then I see it as you not respecting me. It also talks about the ten virgins, right? So those that are ready and those that are not ready. But also is the story of the talents. Everybody say the talents. Or it might be the gifts, depending on your translation. Um, and really, that word talent, it's, it's just a, a, actually uh, a coincidence that we have this word talent in the English language that means, you know, something, a gift and ability. But technically, that's not what the word was. It was money. And it was basically, the analogy is that God had given each of them a portion, had given them some money, and then told them, to go and use it well. And this is what it says, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Is everybody doing all right? Everybody doing okay? So Matthew 25, verse 14, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servants with the two bags of silver also went and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. And after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used, what's that word? Wait, there you go. That's the key. It is money. That's right, Tom. Tom works in a bank, so going to see that word. Whose money is it? His money. How they used what? So he gave them money according to their abilities. And he only required, he gave them each according to their abilities, so he didn't ask more of one than the other. He's just giving each person as a different gifts and abilities, and we're all at different levels and places, but he gave his money to them, and now came and called for an account of his money. And so it says, when he came to ask for how they did with his money, the servant to whom he had entrusted, verse 20, the five bags of silver, he came forward and he said, I gave, I've turned it into five more. And he says in verse 21, well done, 
my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And the servant here received the two bags. He says the same thing. I've turned it into two more. And he says to him in verse 23, you've been faithful, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he says, let's celebrate. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Isn't it funny? The world says, who is God? He's way up there in the sky. I'm the one down on the earth. I'm the one going through the issues. I'm the one going through the problems. You know, easy for him to say, this is the world. It's hard for me to even talk like this, but this is their perspective of God, right? Easy for him to say, way up there, living in paradise, talking to me, going through my issues. I'm going to handle my life the way I want to handle it, and that's that. So he says, I was afraid I would lose your money, which is just an excuse, because he just said, I knew you're a harsh man. I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Basically, I didn't feel like doing anything for you. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank At least I could have gotten some interest on it. In other words, you should have just done something. Um, These guys, they turned, they used what I gave them, and they doubled it. They did well with what I gave them. But even if you had just done something, I might have some grace on you. Do you understand what he's saying here? I would consider grace if even if you just limped along and you're like, I, I, I tried. Here's the same thing back. I really didn't do anything with it, but every day I tried, and I failed. Then he would have said, I've given you grace because you tried. But he says, you are a wicked, lazy servant. And it says in verse 28, then he ordered, take the money from the servant, give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And he says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, before I read verse 30, I just want us to to hear this. Jesus is talking to servants. Everybody say servant. All right, so this does not imply, uh, it's hard to really, when, when we're reading God's, Word And when we're reading his uh, allegories here, or Jesus' parables, it's hard to completely 100% know when he's talking to the world, when he's talking to Christians, when he's talking to mature Christians, to baby Christians. So I don't want to tell you 100%, but what this parable says to me is that God has given... Every single person on the earth, gifts and abilities, and given them resources, and given them the opportunity to use what he's given them. Amen. All right, that's what I believe he's saying here. Now, if you don't agree, and I don't think there's argument in this room, but if you don't agree, you know, there, there is some sub- debate on exactly the people he's talking to. There is possible that He's talking to just Christians, and he's talking to just the world. I don't think so, but that's just, I'm just, when I tell you I don't know and what I'm thinking, I want you to know that. But this is, I think it's pretty clear that he's saying that these guys were equal servants. It wasn't like this is a super Christian, and this is like some really hard-to-reach Christian who had the one, right? It's just people, we're all in different places and different abilities and things, amen, right? And like the basketball star who uses his fame for himself or the basketball star that decides, I've been given a platform and I can use this for the Lord, right? Does that make sense? Okay, so he says to them in verse 30, throw this useless servant into outer 
darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, why Matthew chapter 25 is so significant is because when we talk about the salvation of God, it's so simple. It's literally just, Lord, remember me today. And he says, we'll be in paradise together. But when we talk about living the life that Jesus called us to on the earth, it's much more particular. We have to really go through his word and ask him what he wants from us. What I hear in this parable is that he didn't say, did you believe in me or not? It literally says, throw this servant into hell. That's what outer darkness is and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some people don't realize that. I think you, most of you do in this room. If you don't know, that's hell. Matthew 25 says, the person who didn't use what I gave them, not who didn't believe in me. Right? We just want to say, well, if I believe, I'm saved, and if I don't believe, I'm not saved. But Matthew 25, and all three of the parables, actually, in Matthew 25 are about what you do with what he gave you. The virgins who had prepared and had the oil, right, they did something that they had to do. The, those that were unprepared were locked out of heaven's door. And those that had given and done what, uh, uh, on the earth for others... The Lord calls them the sheep and calls those that did for themselves the goats. So when we read Matthew 25, it is an interesting verse here, verse 30 here, that really something that we should check on. Okay, Lord, I'm not debating your salvation. That was free, but your word says that if I don't use your salvation and do well with it that there's a potential that you're going to come and judge it and that it wasn't up to par does that make sense and again i started the whole sermon what did i say i'm not condemning anyone we're just asking for the holy spirit to convict us but let's read his verses not just don't just assume theologies you've been taught never ever just take a theology and put it over the word of god you know, we do that, right? We hear scriptures and we take theologies and we go, no, but this is what God, this is, that's not like God. God's not like that. Hold on a second. Are you getting that from your theology or are you getting that from the word of God? If you want to take a whole bunch of verses and back up your theology without, what they do then is then they take a whole bunch of verses and back up their theology, but they still have to cut this one out. Let's take the balance of it. Let's take, for by grace I've been saved. The man on the cross, is he's just a worthless sinner, but he recognizes that this is Jesus. So we have this picture here of really what it is to be saved and then what it is to live a life that is saved on the earth. Amen. And if I wasn't a good preacher, if I didn't care about us, I would just say, you do whatever you want. I don't care. That's between you and God only. And I mean, ultimately, I started the sermon by saying that. It is ultimately, that's between you and him and everybody listening on the podcast. That's between them and the Lord. But I can, as a good preacher, do that. As a doctor, I'm going to, or as a representative of him, let's go through it as I'm doing in my own heart. Lord, am I doing the things you asked of me? It's a verse that we shouldn't just blow off because when I read it, it tells me that there was something I was supposed to do, not believe. I can believe that he says, I knew you were. So he had a knowledge of who God was. This was not just someone in the world who's like innocent and it's like, I, don't, I just, I, no one ever told me. I knew about you, God. I knew about you, but I decided that I was going to do it my way. I thought, yeah, they're using your gifts and abilities and your salvation to save the world, but I'm going to take your salvation and hide it. I'm just going to go live my life. I'm not going to be too worried about salvation. I'm just going to kind of keep it hidden away, drive through Happy Meal, pick up salvation on the way, and then go on with my life. How are we doing, everybody? I want you to look at another verse here. I want you to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Luke chapter 9 verse 57 says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, 
Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I love that salvation is so simple of just turning to Jesus and recognizing him. I know that that's, that is that simple, and that's how amazing his grace is, that he just washed over this murderer's sins just like that. He doesn't say, well, you are a bad man, and let's go through the details. And remember that person you stole from. And remember that person that you did. That was it. His grace was instant. It's washed. His response, I believe, was without delay. I don't believe that Jesus stared at him for a minute. All right, you can come. It was instantaneous. Today we'll be in paradise. That is how quick. Repentance is so instant. It's actually in your heart before you even say the words out, God has already forgiven you. But the one side is, well, I've already repented. I don't need to repent of. The way that I preach in this church that we live our lives is, you think a thought about a person that's not right. You think evil about a person. And I believe the word is clear that instantaneously I need to repent from that. Am I going to go to hell because of that one thought? No, but that's a slippery slope towards the evil that Jesus warned me of, right back to the path of the enemy, the broad and wide road. Because that anger towards that person right now, that if I don't repent and deal with it, the Bible tells me it's just a matter of time it turns into murder. You can say all you want, that would never happen to me. I don't want to be like the world and say never say never, but you want to be in pride and say you know, I don't need to deal with it, but everybody else does. That's where you'll end up. It's really for our benefit. It's for our best, isn't it? The doctor looking out for our best. Amen. Luke chapter 14, something very similar here. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus. And he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, who wants to be the Lord's disciple? Who wants to be a disciple of Jesus? Now, how, ugh, it's hard for me to even think like this, I'm going to grieve the Holy Spirit. How awful is it for someone to say, I want salvation, but I don't want to be Jesus' disciple? Can you even... Like, just thinking those thoughts, maybe we don't say those things out loud, but when we, get, we, when we get stuck at an altar call, and that's it. It's like, man, I prayed the prayer once, but I don't want to be his disciple. I don't know what prayer you prayed, but I would go pray it again. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, well, if Jesus is calling us to be his disciples, then I believe that's what he wants us to be. I don't believe there are Christians and then disciples. What the devil has actually done a good job at for the last, I don't know, I've just experienced it in my lifetime, and I don't read about it in history, but, so I don't know when it started. But what he has done a good job at is separating the church into factions, Right? There are the servants, and then there's just the people. Right? There's the pastor, and then there's the people that work in the church, and then there's just the, the visitors. There's the Christian, and then there's the super-Christian. Right? And that's not God. There is a person that is praying less and a person that's praying more. There's a person that's preaching more and a person that's preaching less, but that does not get, that's not a hierarchical that's not like a, a ladder scheme, right, to reach the, the top of the pyramid, right? Pyramid scheme so I can reach the top. 
You might just be at different places in your life, and you may have different calls in your life. But every single person on the earth was called to not just be saved, but to be a disciple. If you are laying on the ground, and I'm praying for you because you've just been shot and we're in war, and, and there's only moments left, then there is no chance for you to be a disciple of Christ. Your salvation is complete. But if Jesus miraculously heals you, and you get up, and you start, you go back to your life that you had before you were in that battle, and now you made a commitment to the Lord, if you don't stick to the prayer you prayed then, I don't want to say it, you decide, but I'm not, I think it's, I think it's weird to say you didn't mean it, so you can tell which end of the book end I kind of lean towards. I think it's weird to just be like, well, they must not have meant it, because I think you did. But I would just ask the question, am I living the life that I prayed for the Lord to give me? Am I living the salvation that he offered me? Because I still have breath in my lungs. And so he says, if you want to be my disciple, the NLT actually softens this. I was never taught this way because the New King James or any more traditional text just says it straight up. But the NLT is like, well, let's help Jesus say what he was saying here. It says, you must by comparison hate everyone else. It doesn't actually say that. Any of the traditional text just says you have to hate your father and mother. And we always, we were taught, okay, that's what the words say, but that's not what Jesus means. He says, in comparison, you must hate your father and mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Who loves reading the words of Jesus? Who likes hearing the words of Jesus like a hammer shattering theologies? You just have to just, all we got to do is just go to his scriptures. It's like a hammer. It just shatters theologies. Yes, by grace we've been saved. I, uh, actually it frustrates me because I, I am obsessed. Grace is like, I'm like an addict to grace. I'm obsessed with the grace of God. I live by the grace of God. I'm so thankful that when I think an evil thought towards somebody in road rage, that I say, oh, Lord, forgive me. And then his grace is instantly there to forgive me. And he doesn't say, you stupid idiot, I saved you. Why are you still thinking like that? So I'm so incredibly grateful for grace. I can't express it enough. It sounds like I don't believe in grace when I talk like this, but we have to understand the other side. This is Jesus' words. Not that Paul's words would have been any less powerful, but the words of Jesus himself literally said to us, I want you to be my disciple. He says, if you want to be, so there's a choice there too. But really, he's implying, I want you to be my disciples. And, and if you want to be my disciple, it's such a serious thing that you must realize that nothing and no one in your life can compare to following me. Anybody getting anything out of this? Okay, I'll just preach to myself. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm getting it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. I'm just going to repent right now, Lord. He says, verse 27, if you do not carry my cross, wait, wait a second, no, it doesn't. I'm sorry, maybe it's just the words are small. Read it on the screen, help me. What's this word right here? Anybody read that? My cross, wait a second. Uh, do we have the New King James here, Mariah? Because maybe it's a translation issue. Let's just see. I'm thinking I must have wrote the scripture down wrong. For it does not bear his cross. I think it means the same thing. I thought Jesus carried his cross. I thought Jesus did the cross thing. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That's really serious. Jesus literally said, pick up the cross. The cross is death. I love that the Lord gives us so many blessings. I can't even, I can't thank him enough. I thank him every single day. I'm so incredibly grateful for the blessings he gives us and just health and peace and joy and hope and life. But I am so aware that I am at his I don't want to say disposal like I don't matter, but that's where I'm at. Like, like a dead man that's already gone on the cross, I'm in your hands. I'm yours. You're mine. I'm submitted to you. I'm that horse. Put your reins on me. I'm clay in your hands. You shape me and mold me how you want. Lord, put your words in my Holy Spirit. Okay, you said don't even think about what you're going to say. Put your words in my mouth. That's how Jesus wants us to live and what a shame it would be if we would say, well, this is extracurricular. This is super Christianity. This is not for the new Christian. This is a different type of Christianity. This is another level. And in one respect, yes, because salvation is like a baby being born again. But what we're talking about, because you're not babies, because you are growing, because you're maturing, is that you are becoming Christ in you. You're becoming the full stature of Christ. And this is what he requires of us. It's his word. And then he says something here that is so incredibly powerful. He says, verse 28, But don't begin until you count the cost. Imagine we had altar calls like this. It says, For the who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down and with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace with the enemy while he's still far away. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, and imagine we did altar calls like, calls like this. Does anybody in this room want to come to Christ? But before you make that decision, I want to tell you what it's going to mean. It means that everything in your life will be stripped away. It means that, yes, the Lord wants the best for you, and he will give you a life that you cannot imagine. And then everybody leaves it there, comma, but in that process, you may lose everything you know and love in this earth because it doesn't have value anyway. You just don't know that yet. Imagine we gave altar calls like this. Who is willing? I've got a cross outside to grab a cross and go get on it right now. We've got someone ready with nails and a hammer. I don't want to go through that either. I'm not saying that this is easy for me to preach because I'm preaching to myself too. But when I really understand what, it, what Jesus, not theology, what Jesus said to us, it does not negate the simplicity of salvation, but it does bring the fullness to what he was saying. And isn't it interesting? Wow. Jesus said, if you don't carry your cross, you can't, you can't be my disciple. And isn't it interesting that the simplicity of the gospel was a man on the cross? Wow. He had already been, there was nothing left. He's a dead man. You literally have to be dead. There is no life. You don't have life. And that's where, that's the life I want. I want you to give it to me like you mean it. Like there is, like when you say, Lord, have my life, don't pray that prayer and then go live your life for the next 12 hours, then go to sleep and pray the prayer again, and then wake up in the morning and pray it, but then live your life in between. And just do whatever you want. Don't check back with my word and make sure that you're doing it the way that I've asked of you. And that's the reason last week I brought up Nadab and Abihu, and I'm closing here. So just bear with me. Just stay with me for one more minute. 
That's why I brought them up, because I want us to realize the seriousness of God. The grace of Jesus is unbelievable. His blood and mercy, it's not even fathomable in our human mind. But Nadab and Abihu, all they did, as far as the scriptures are concerned, I've heard different teachers and theologies, but the scriptures just say they brought a different fire, a strange fire, some sort of fire that God didn't ordain. It was that simple. We don't really know where they got it from, but they did something different than God said, and he struck them dead instantly. Let's not forget who God is and the seriousness of God. I know this is not easy words to hear, but how do you think I feel preaching it too? <laughs> hope you have some compassion on me trying to preach it. Hard for me to say as well. The Lord loves us so incredibly much that he sent his only son to die for us. So it's not a question of love. The Bible says that even death cannot separate us from his love. This is not about God loving us or not loving us. He loved us so much that Jesus died already for us. Pre, before you ever sinned, he's like 2,000 years in advance. I'm going to die for those sins now. In advance, that's how much I love you. It's not a question of his love. This is a question of do we truly understand what that love for us is, and when I receive it, do I understand what Jesus wants me to do with it? Amen? Does that make sense? All right, amen. You want to pray? I just want, let's just all close our eyes. We don't do this that, that often. And uh, I just want, you can just stay right in your seats. I just want, this is just between you and the Lord, but... This is where I've just been out this week, and I just feel like the Lord wanted me to go through this again and us to go through this as a church. But just for a moment, uh, David calls it running a comb, like, like a comb through your hair, right? A comb through your heart. It takes out all the junk in there. Lord Jesus, right now, just run your comb through our hearts. Lord we just submit to you right now. We just lay it all down on the altar. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us and that your blood covers our sins, that your grace, Lord, it's not even something we can understand. You are such a big God and such a loving and kind and merciful God. You give us one trillion chances. Lord, we thank you that every time we fail, that we can get back up again and continue walking with us. Your word says that you have yoked with us. We are literally walking on this path, not alone, but beside Jesus Christ himself every step of the way. And we just lean on you, Lord, rely on you, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that right now, Lord, wherever we haven't surrendered, God, help us to do it. We cannot do it in ourselves. We just get on the cross. We just get nailed to that cross right now, fully submitted to you. And we just, Lord, surrender in Jesus' name. Amen.